All right, well, good morning. I'm Mark. I want to welcome you as well. Uh, excited about this new series we're going to be talking about, Daniel. Um, it's, been a, it's been a lot of fun to, to get back into it and study it and just see how applicable it feels like it is for, for where we are right now. And um, so kind of to kick us off, kind of set the stage, quick, quick story. I, uh, you know, when I first got started in uh, ministry, kind of, kind of fumbled into it. I I, uh, I was playing football in college, and that's uh, really where I started to, to find out that, that Jesus was just a part of my life, but he, he needed more of my attention and more of my focus, deserved more of it. Uh, and so I started to follow him more wholeheartedly, and then I just started to talk about it with the guys I was playing football with, and it was just kind of natural. You know, I, I wanted to study the Bible more, so I would gather some of my buddies together, and we started to study the Bible more, and, and then the Bible would say things that we should do or shouldn't do, and it was like, hey, we should probably do that. And then came time to graduate, and I was like, man, I should, I should just keep doing this. For, so, so for a good bit there, I was kind of just like a, a chaplain uh, on, on different sports teams and at the universities that we were close to, uh, mainly football. And, uh, and normally, what that would look like, you know, when you weren't playing, then you had to find a kind of a way to, how, was you, how were you going, going to relate to the team if you weren't actually a player? And so I'd usually go out, take, take Caleb, he was a little guy at that time, and we'd, we'd go out and watch practice and you know, I, it's not a lot of people on the sideline watching practice, especially with a kid. So sooner or later, a uh, coach would come over and we'd start talking and I'd say, you know, hey, if, if you'd like me to, I could come into maybe a team meeting and kind of set the stage for who I am, what I'm doing. And, you know, maybe, uh, maybe there's some guys that would want to take me up on a Bible study or something like that. And, you know, most of the time, coach would be, that sounds great. So then I'd go into the team meeting and uh, real short and sweet, I'd say, hey, you know, we don't know a whole lot about what Jesus' life was like uh, when he was your age, but we do know uh, Luke 2.52 says that he was growing in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. I'm pretty confident that uh, your professors and your coaches are going to really push for you to, to grow mentally. You know, your coaches are going to really make sure that you're getting stronger and faster, and they're going to take care of the physical part. And I was kind of laughing, saying, you know, the girls will probably take care of the social part. But who's helping you grow spiritually? And, of course, you know, they would all go, nobody. I'd go, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'd love, to, I'd love to try to help you if, y'all, if you guys want to have that conversation. And so I'd pass out these cards, kind of gain their interest and get some information from them about how to contact them. And then I'd spend the rest of the semester, really the rest of the school year, in these one-to-one meetings kind of following up with these guys, trying to help them figure out who Jesus was. And, and that was a great plan. Worked really awesome. A lot of cool things I got to see God do. But we went to this one town and kind of followed the same format. Me and Caleb go out to practice, <laughs> about two minutes out there at practice. I'm like, man, uh, I need to take my child elsewhere. Uh, I mean, language is always really intense out at, at a football practice, but this was over the top. And it was just kind of this, there was nobody on that field with a smile on their face. It was just like, this is a, a very, very dark place. And coach was kind of, you know, he didn't want to come talk to me. He, he really gave me every impression that he didn't really want me to be there. And I, I got the hint. So, so we left. And then I was, man, heartbroken. I'm like, well, well, what am I going to do? What is this going to look like? And so I started praying, man, there's going to have to be uh, one of the guys on the team, one of the guys that's even in maybe a leadership position that God would raise up, that would be in that locker room, that would be in that dorm, that would be able to be a light in what is obviously a really, really dark place. And there was one guy that had a smile on his face. Like, that's the guy. 
I don't, I don't even know. I, God has to know Jesus to have a smile on his face in the middle of this dark place. And so sure enough, I get talking to him, and he is. He is uh, sold out. Man, he, he's got strong faith, and he's having a really hard time, and he needs, uh, he needs a friend, really, in the middle of this, this darkness that he's in. And so we start talking, and I start trying to paint a picture to him of what it would look like for him to be a light there. And he was honest on the front, man, I don't, I don't know if I can. Mark, this place is dark. And I'm like, I, man, I agree, I agree. But hey, I mean, who, who else is going to, I can't go in there. It's, it, it's you. And I remember the day he was uh, coming off the football field. He was, we were sitting on the steps outside the locker room. He was taking his cleats off and he said, I can't do it anymore. I said, what do you mean? He said, Mark, man, have you been in that locker room? Those guys, if you heard their language... To which I, I tried not to laugh because, yeah, I, I've been, I mean, I, 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 mean, I know you're, you're in a locker room with a bunch of guys who don't, who, you know, they, they, their language is pretty colorful. And, you know, if you heard the way they talk about girls, I'm like, man, you know, dude, you're kind of in the locker room. But I was trying to keep, you know, but he just kept on going through telling me things that you would expect a locker room of a bunch of college guys that aren't following Jesus to be doing. But he's in that place and he's like, man, I, I need to get as far away from this as I can. I, not that I want to engage it and try to help or understand where they're I, I want to get a, as far away from it as I can. And he ended up, he ended up quitting football, and that was it. <laughs> Never found another guy in that, in that locker room. And, um, and you know, it's, it's one of these conflicts and dilemmas that all of us find ourselves in. You know, it, what does it look like to be a Christian in a, in a non-Christian, even anti-Christian environment? Uh, do we run from it? Do we run towards it? Do we just join in? Or what do we do? How do, how do we handle all of that? And it's really interesting that here in this book of Daniel, we get, we get a picture of Daniel in a similar situation and how he handles it. And it really is interesting that there's, there's a bit of a playbook, I think, here for us. So, uh, so let's jump right into it. I'm going to start and really take chapter 1 today. And um, this is where we deal with, with Daniel and his buddies going veg only. And uh, don't worry, my application point today is not that we should all be vegetarians, so, so you're good to go. Uh, but there are some really cool things to pull out here. So let's take verse 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, forced its surrender. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his, Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar. If you recognize that back in uh, Genesis chapter 11, Tower of Babel, land of Shinar, that's where we're, we're talking about here, to the house of his God. So his God, Nebuchadnezzar's God. So he besieged it, and he took some of the, the things from the temple of Yahweh, and he's bringing them back to the temple of his God, which best I could tell is the temple of Marduk. And if you, you go look up uh, this deity, he's kind of the, the chief of the Mesopotamian uh, pantheon, uh, god of thunderstorms, I guess uh, early Thor version here, uh, has him a pet dragon with a forked tongue, and uh, eagle talons. That's pretty, pretty scary by his side and all the idols and, and artwork. Uh, so that's, this is what Nebuchadnezzar does, which is really a statement of, man, not only did I take over your place, but I took the things from your temple of your God, and I, I'm showing you that my God is bigger than your God. I'm bringing it to my, his temple, and I'm putting them there. Um, so a couple of big things here. Uh, this Je- Jehoiakim uh, took the throne at age 25, 
And he did, it says that he, he did evil in the sight of the Lord just like his daddy did. So we know that he wasn't doing the things. I mean, the, the, the Israelites, they were involved in idolatry and, and disobedience. And so there's a point where you go, man, all right, so this is coming upon. It says the Lord gave them over to Nebuchadnezzar. So this is happening to Daniel. And it's a bad thing that's happening to him, a really difficult thing that's happening to him. And it says that God is allowing it to happen. And, and we know, they, yeah, they, there's idolatry, there's disobedience, and there's reasons. But it's, it's, point, it's important for us to, to recognize that God is allowing it. That God is not asleep at the wheel. He's, he, he's fully in control, and he's allowing this thing to happen. Uh, this Nebuchadnezzar was a really uh, tough king. Uh, later in the scriptures, Israel talks about him, that he has swallowed us up like a monster. He has filled his stomach with our, uh, our delicacies. He has washed us away. Uh, really, really tough king that God has allowed this to happen. And, you know, I think the important thing for us to, to see is that we have to, in the same way that Daniel is, we have to be confident in the divine purpose. That our God is in control. And I think especially when things don't go the way that we think they should and we find ourselves in that really tough spot, it's just really easy to look at that and go, where, where is he? I, I've been in those spots where I'm crying out, like, where, where did you go? It feels like you're not here right now. Why is this, this tough thing happening? And a lot of times, it's because we don't see the bigger picture. I mean, by the time this story ends, y'all, it's really cool because we got kings, leaders of the known world, the, the, the most powerful people on the planet in that time, sending out letters of decree to all the peoples of the world, declaring that the God of Daniel is, is the true God. <laughs> that's what happens multiple times. So that's the end of the story. We're in the beginning of the story, and this really, really tough thing has happened to Daniel. And I'm glad that he didn't miss it, like we're tempted to. You know, my, uh, one of my first, well, actually, my first trip overseas to a place that I really was around, you know, true poverty in a mega city. Uh, for me and others, it was kind of our first experience like that. And, um, and we were walking down the street early, uh, early in the trip, and, and we saw a little boy that was begging and was shoeless. And one of the other guys on the team is like, hey, we can buy that guy's shoes. Hey, we can. We can. You know, so, we, so we went and we got some shoes and we brought it back to him. And when we gave it to him, he, you know, he took them, didn't act all that excited about the shoes, but said, my sister needs milk. And would you guys also buy some milk that I can take back to my sister? And we're all like, yeah, all of us were really excited to, to be able to help him, except the, the guy from there <laughs> He acted real kind of worried about it. But, you know, I was like, all right, yeah, we'll do it, you know. And he, he started to take us this way. And then our friend from there says, hey, let's not go to that milk stand. Let's go to this other milk stand. And so we kind of, we see it down this little alley. And we're like, well, there it was. But we just follow him and we go the long way around. And we end up going back past the police station. And then we go to this other milk stand and we buy the boy milk. Uh, uh, a little later in the story, he we come back the next day and the boy isn't wearing shoes again and he's out in the same street begging and asking for milk from the same place. And so my mind's just getting blown with what, what exactly is going on here. And, and later that night, I, I asked my buddy, man, why did you walk us the long way? Why didn't we just, why don't we just go to that milk stand that was right there? And he said, well, it was a whole racket. You know, the, the men who have enslaved that little boy to beg on that street corner want him to look as pitiful as possible, so they want to make sure that he's shoeless. And then he was taking you to this milk stand, and it was through this alley that, you were, that somebody was going to attack you. 
So I have friends at the police station, so I went past the police station, so everybody knew you guys were connected and protecting you. So he, this guy was protecting us all along, and he saw that field, that scene, with totally different eyes than I was looking at it. Y'all, as people of God, as followers of Jesus, man, we got to look at the scene, our culture, this day, all the things that are happening with different eyes. Our God is in control, and he's moving even when it looks really dark and bleak, he is moving. He is set. And a lot of times we miss that when the story ends, he's working towards something and he will be victorious. And a lot of times the things that don't seem to make a lot of sense for us right now, it's because it's just not about us. Uh, my, my favorite psalm is Psalm 67. Uh, I've said it here a lot of times, but I, I, and I will say it more just because I think it's, it's the big picture. This is it. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. But it's not a period. So that his ways would be known on earth, his salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. It's a prayer that all the peoples would praise you, that the nations would be glad and sing for joy. That's what it looks like. This little bitty verbiage, hey, that he would bless us and make his face shine so that he would make his name great on the planet, so that the, the God of love and mercy would, would drop his power and his love upon the planet, and his name would be made great. So he's working it all along, and sometimes it might not look like it. You know, like, like Rocky. You know, everything's like Rocky, right? Uh, Rocky the third one, you know, when he's fighting Clubber Lang. I don't know who Clubber Lang is. Does anybody watch Rocky? Uh, yeah, Mr. T. Mr. T's hungry, man. He's from the streets. Rocky's gotten a little bit too big for his britches. And uh, first fight, Clubber Lang takes him out. Second fight, it's getting back, you know, close to the end of the fight. And Apollo's in his corner. And you can tell Rocky's just like, he's like taunting him and just taking shots. And Apollo says, he's killing him. He's killing him. And Paulie says, nah, he's not killing him. He's just getting mad. And you can see Rocky's doing it on purpose. For a second, he makes Clubber Lang thinks he's going to win the fight just enough that then he takes him out. Y'all, we got to realize that God is doing something. The enemy thinks he's got to step up. You know, that's what you got to love about the cross. Right at the moment that, that, that the devil thought he had our Jesus, it's the very moment that Jesus defeated death on our behalf. Beautiful. This is the way our God works. And so we have to see the big picture and we have to be confident Something else that I think that's just really important for us to realize is that that confidence is unique among Jesus' followers. Just like when we talked about um, the Sabbath, what's unique among the followers of Yahweh is that, man, we work hard, but we get a rest because our God provides for us. And so we don't have to run around in anxious toil and worry. We work hard, but we trust him. And that trust allows us to live in a place of peace. In the same way, when everything looks like it's spiraling into chaos and out of control, guess who gets to be at peace? The ones who believe in this big God who's working something beyond us. We should be the ones that get to be in peace. We should be the ones, when the plane's going down, that seem to be at rest. There's actually a story about that. There's a whole group of people who came to faith in Jesus because they saw believers when a ship was sinking they saw the believers on that ship at peace. And they were like, it must be true. And then when they got saved, they were like, I want to follow the one that you follow because he, how could he give you peace in the middle of a, a sinking ship? And, uh, and that's who we get to be. Daniel uh, chapter 1, verse 3. 
The story goes on. Then the king commanded his chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance, so the, the pretty and handsome ones, the smart ones, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So what he's going to try to do is indoctrinate them in, in his culture and convince them that their culture is bad and this culture is good and to adopt their ways. The king assigned to them the daily portion of food and uh, that the king ate his food and of the wine that he drank. And they were also educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were going to stand before the king. Man, doesn't this sound like a good deal? Man, I, you know, I mean, we moved from this place and now we get to come here. And man, we get to stay in the palace and sleep on, I'm sure, Egyptian cotton sheets and, you know, uh, all the things. Get to eat the king's food. That's got to be good, right? I mean, this, this sounds pretty nice. No, it's not nice. No, it's not nice, man. It's just a, 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 you know, preparing the pig for slaughter, right? Fatten him up, man. Give him the, so that then they can just become. He took the, he took the smart ones and the pretty ones and the, and the, and the nobility because he wanted to take the leaders of that, of, of that people and make them leaders in his, but he had to indoctrinate them and, and convince them. And, and we have to be aware, just like Daniel, we have to be aware that there is a mortal plan going on, that there's a big God plan that he's working but then there's a, a reality of what's going on around us. And uh, we have to be wise to that and not ignorant to it. Just like here recently, you know, with the uh, elections coming up and, and all the different issues that we're going to be voting on. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed it, but like, man, if it's, if it's two candidates, you know, this, this candidate, man, if you watch that commercial, it's like, man, or that ad, man, they do nothing wrong. And this one's like, they do nothing wrong. And you're like, yes, and, and yes. And then there'll be a different issue. And it'll be like, there's one in particular that it just makes me laugh because it's like this side of it t- says a whole thing that this one doesn't mention. And this one says a whole side of it that this one doesn't mention. And I'm like, I don't have to be very smart to realize there's two sides to this, <laughs> there's two sides to this coin, right? And we have to be thoughtful, we, we can't just be the, the, the pigs to slaughter, you know? We can't just uh, assume that it's all right. No, it's, it's tough. Sin is always scheming. There is an enemy, and he is keen to fatten you up for the slaughter. Uh, makes me think about Moana. If you haven't seen Rocky, surely you've seen Moana. But the starting, the starting scene, if you've got kids, I know you have. The, start, the starting scene, Grandma is talking to the kids, and uh, she makes them cry, if y'all remember it. I, I can't do it justice, but she says, Teka, the, the demons of the, uh, and the demons of the deep are hiding in the darkness, and they will continue to spread, chasing away our fish, draining the life from island after island. You can say I've seen it a few times. <laughs> draining the life from island after island till every one of us is devour, devoured by the bloodthirsty jaws of inescapable death. And then all the kids start crying except Moana. And then... Uh, her, her daddy comes in and it all starts. He's like, no, 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 no. That's not what's going to happen. That's not what's happening. We're fine. We're safe here on this island. And there's nothing wrong. And as the story goes on, they can't find any fish because all the fish are dying. They're, they're bringing in the coconuts and they've all turned black. And the, what she's talking about is really happening. But, but, but daddy's trying to pretend like nothing's happening. It's all going to be just fine. Y'all, we can't be that. <laughs> We, we, we can't be like, like nothing's going, yeah, no, there, there is sin on the planet and there's a lot of bad stuff and there's a lot of, it's a crazy time. Yeah, let's recognize it. You can't be uh, ignorant to it. 
Um, you know, I, I, Terry and I got to go on a little trip this summer for our 25th wedding anniversary, and I took her for a couple of days, not the whole time. We stayed in our normal cheap hotels. But, uh, but one night, we stayed in, in a swanky hotel. And I just walk into a swanky hotel. I don't know what you do, but I walk in knowing that they're out to get me. You know, they're not going to get me on the on the cost of the room. They're going to get me on all the all the other things, you know, sitting out by the pool. You want that fifteen dollar little thing of French fries. You do. I don't. I can see you over there eating your French fries and they smell really good. But, you know, what we got we got our ice chest and our speaker and we walk out. And I don't care what music you got playing. We're playing our music and we're uh, we're eating our snacks from and drinks from our, our little cooler. And, you know, in this place, we were the only ones with the, with the speaker and the cooler. And I was pretty convinced that there were a lot of whispers going on, but I assumed that it was all those guys going, man, that's genius. Why didn't we bring that in, you know? I could tell that the workers at the place were like, uh, we're not even going to say anything to that guy because we've never seen this before. <laughs> people, don't, people don't do this. We went down to the Aldi and, and got, got food and brought it in. Uh, that guy must be really smart. Um, no, I know what's happening. So I'm aware of it. So I make a plan, <laughs> Right. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make a plan to battle it. So we know what's going on, but we, uh, we're not ignorant. We're aware of the mortal plan. And then he goes on, verse 6. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, uh, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. So this indoctrination starts with, with names here. So Daniel's Belshazzar, Hananiah is Shadrach, Mishael is Meshach. Azariah he called uh, Abednego. But Daniel resolved. What did he resolve in his heart? That he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, y'all catch anything there? Something that just, just sticks out to me. He didn't say he had any problem with the name calling. I, th- I, think, I think immediately I would have been, hey, no, no, my name's not... Belshazzar, my name's Daniel. What you, trying, what you trying to do here? And his name's not, you know, if those, these names, each one of those names, the original name, like Daniel, God is my judge. Belshazzar is Bel's prince, one of the deities. Each one of them was shifting from some really cool picture of God's nature and character, uh, Yahweh's nature and character, over to one of these deities that was worshipped in, in Babylon. So it was a pretty significant deal. But Daniel didn't say, hey, hey, I don't want to do that. And, you know, this, this indoctrination thing, it's not like he said, no, I'm not going to go to your classes. It was the eating the king's food. That was the place that he put his foot down. And I think the thing that we can get from this is that we need to be wise about which fights we pick. You know, evidently, uh, just trying to put myself in Daniel's shoes, he didn't care what people called him because he, he knew what his name was. He can go to the classes and, and sift it for the good stuff and, and push out the bad stuff. He's not gonna, they're not going to indoctrinate him. But this, this food thing, and there's a lot of different opinions about what this might mean. Um, you know, the, the dietary convictions that he had, maybe, maybe they were crossing some lines. Maybe the food was, probably was sacrificed to idols. You know, we've talked a lot about that, so he's like, I'm not going to do that. But I, I, I don't know if it's maybe just sharing the king's food is a, especially in this culture, is a real, like we're linking arms together in fellowship. And he's like, man, for whatever reason it was, it was that was the thing. That was the thing that's not going to happen. I'm not going to, I'm resolving in my heart, Daniel says, I'm not going to do this. 
And I think that's what we have to do. We have to look at what's going on and, and we have to pick, like, if everything's red, if, if we're screaming about everything, then we're screaming about nothing. But what, what are the things? What, what place do we get to that, that a line gets crossed? You know, have, have you been in a movie and you're, and you're in the movie theater and you're watching it or you're, you're at home watching it and you get to that place that you're like, you know what? I can't be here anymore. I, I need to walk out of this theater because what's happening here is not something. What is your line? You know, being in, in a place where a lot of language is being thrown around, what is, when somebody says the name of Jesus irreverently, like for, for, forever, that has been my, like, whoa. Uh, you can talk a lot of things, but don't, no, don't, don't do that. It, it hurts me in my heart. What, what is it for you with all those different issues? Where is the, no, you, you crossed a line there. This is, I'm resolved in my heart. I'm not going to go I'm not going to go there. It's kind of like the other day I was thinking about it and uh, pulling out in really heavy traffic. You know, there's all these cars going by and you're always trying to decide, man, when am I going to go out there? And I got this old Jeep, so I got to plan ahead of time because otherwise I'm going to be in trouble. So I'm standard, you know, I'm ready. I'm, whew, am I going to go? Am I going to go? Man, if, you can't just go all the time. You're going to end up in a crash, right? I mean, you got you to pick your times. Uh, made me think about when I was trying to learn how to whitewater kayak. And uh, if it was up to me, man, I would just start at the top of the river and paddle <laughs> and, and shoot every waterfall and do everything and just get thrashed by every rock in the river. Every time I try to do that, that's what happens. When I go with guys that are more experienced than me and know what they're doing, they've already scouted the river ahead of time. They, they pull ahead, uh, you know, before we get to a waterfall where they know it is, we'll pull to the side, we'll go up and find a good vantage point, they'll look out, they'll say, hey, all right, over there, there's an eddy, you know, an eddy is where there's a rock and the, and the water flow will kind of keep right there. So you can get there and stop and then slowly pick your way down the river. And they're like, there's the eddy over there. So what we're going to need to do is take this path, hit that eddy, then we'll hit that eddy, then we'll hit that eddy, and then this, the waterfall, we need to hit it there to make it safely down the river. That's genius. <laughs> resolving in my heart ahead of time, looking at the scene ahead of time, resolving in my heart, these are the things and these are the lines that are crossed and this is how I'm going to navigate this chaos and this craziness. We've got to pick our fights. We can't, we can't be red-faced about everything. But we've got to be red-faced about something. I don't want to sing a country song, but there is a country song about that. You've got to stand for something or you fall for anything. Anything. All right. Uh, Daniel. Uh, chapter, nine, chapter 1, verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. Y'all, if nothing else, that line right there should tell us a ton. What should we be like in the culture that we live in? Well, I hope we're acting in such a way that God would grant us favor and compassion in the eyes of the people that are around us. Because if we have favor and compassion, then we're able to speak into it. But if, if we act f- the fool and we're not able to gain favor and compassion because of the way that we're acting, then our words mean nothing. He gave it to Daniel, and Daniel was acting in such a way that he received it. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear, my lord, the king who assigns your food and your drink. For why should, you, why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths of your, who are of your own age. So you would da- endanger my head, the eunuch says, with the king. And then Daniel said to the steward, test your servant for 10 days. Uh, let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. In verse 13, it goes on to say, and, and then deal with your servant with what you see after the 10 days. 
So what did Daniel do? He was, he was reasonable. And you have to be reasonable if, if you're going to be heard. He's like, man, if I do this, this is where my stand's going to be. And I'm willing to take this stand and potentially put my own head on the chopping block. But this guy, he's also, his head's also going to be on the chopping block. And this king will kill him if, he, if I don't do what he's been told to do. So, hey, I, let's, let's make this deal. Let's be reasonable. And trusting in a big God. Give us 10 days. We'll eat vegetables. We'll drink water. 10 days, then test us. And after that 10 days, man, it's obvious. In fact, by the time this story ends, uh, it says that, that they were 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in the kingdom. <laughs> God shows up big. But he deals with it in a reasonable way. And we, and we have to be reasonable. The, the official is in a, a real dilemma. We have to recognize it. You know, just a quick example. The, the other day I was with uh, some folks at a restaurant, and uh, we walked in, and it was, it was the time of day right after work, and there were a lot of people at the bar, and the, and the whole place was full, and, and we sat down, and, and we weren't going to order any drinks. And I could tell that when we made our order, and none of us ordered any drinks, I could visibly see the waitress's countenance kind of fall, right? Because there's going to be a, a bigger tip if, if we all order drinks, and now we're not, and we're just taking up a table. And so um, I noticed that she didn't take as good care of us. We weren't as important at that point. And people at the table were getting frustrated. And it was this whole thing that if you just step back a second, you know, I thought about it later. Maybe this is the the step in the future for that. I'll just go, hey, tell you what, I know we're not ordering any drinks, but we're going to dip big, you know, just so you know. Uh, Because it, it felt like if we were reasonable in the moment, there was something going on. And most of the time, you guys, there's that bigger story that we're just not even looking for. And if we'll just stop for a second and put ourselves in somebody else's shoes, Daniel puts himself in this guy's shoes and he goes, yeah, you're in a tough spot. So tell you what we're going to do. My God's big. Let's open up this this opportunity for God to show up these 10 days. And I'm trusting and believing that you're going to see it. You're going to see him show up. You know what God does? He shows up. So we decide in our heart and then we, we look for those opportunities. And then it says, at the end of the time, uh, verse 18, at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke to them. And among all of them, none was found like these guys. Therefore, they stood before the king in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired them. He found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in the kingdom. God showed up, y'all. <laughs> you know? And that's what he does. Trusting in him consistently over time. And just, you know, just some issues I'll throw out that I think I, I see this. You know, marriage. You know, we can, we can throw stones and talk about what it is and, and what it isn't. And there's definitely a place for that discussion. But you know what? Man, a, a man who will love his wife consistently over time in a self-sacrificing supernatural way man the, the, everybody has to step back and go that's god must be real <laughs> if that's true you know um thought about this with uh, our finances you know our financial you know charlie's doing this thing where we're everybody's going this way and we're, we're you know that god has talked about us going this way if somebody will do that consistently over time you know, give first and then, 
And then God, over time, just shows up big in his provision consistently. You know, I think this is a big one for a lot of us. If you've got kids, you know, everything's screaming at us, man. They've got to be involved in everything. They've got to be involved in everything. They've got to be involved in everything. Your kid is missing out if he's not involved in everything, if she's not involved in everything. And for somebody to step up and go, you know what? They don't have to be involved in everything, you know? There's, there's a limit. There's, there's a line. I've resolved in my heart that there's a limit, and I'm trusting God with that. And I'm not going to be anxious because they're not involved in every single thing that's happening. I mean, you guys could throw out 10 more issues like this. At our man, man, uh, men's retreat the other day, we, uh, we kind of introduced some new verbiage to talk about what it means to be a, a man after God's own heart. And, uh, and what it looks like being a warrior and a poet. And yeah, that there's a, there's a place for being strong, for being initiative taking, for being tough. And there's also, it has to be counterbalanced with, with kind and gentle and knowing when and being discerning and when to listen and be quiet and take a step back and be patient. And it, and it has to be both. But you know what? When I talk to my sons and I talk about this, I'm like, bro, you do that. You do that. You be this warrior poet in the model of Jesus. And I'm telling you what, man, you're going to shine in this place, in this time, in this moment. You're going to shine like the brightest star in the sky. <laughs> there going to be girls coming from everywhere going, man, look at that. <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's a whole new thing. I've never seen it before. You know, a man who would be honest, a man who would love his wife, a man who would have uh, some lines drawn and would stick to it, a woman that would do that consistently over time. It screams faith. It screams trust. It screams that our God is big. And y'all, I promise... If a person, if a family, if a church would be like that, you know, our words are worth a little bit. Our actions are worth everything. <laughs> we would just be those people that trust God. We get to watch him do awesome things in all the different places. We don't run from it. We don't just, you know, <laughs> uh, mindlessly fall into it. No, we're a light in the middle of the darkness. That's what he wants to do. All right, let me, let me pray for, for us that he would do that. Father, I, I believe that you have us in all of our different places. I just look across this room and it is amazing if we really thought about it. All of our, our different circles and spheres of influence and all the different places that we'll go to work this next week and, and different uh, teams and things that we'll be a part of. And Father, uh, in each one of those places, you want to move. You want to draw people to yourself. You want to give grace and mercy and make your name great. And, and Father, we want that too. And so I'm asking you that you would give us the wisdom uh, to see it, the perspective, to see this the way that you do, and uh, to be, be like a Daniel in, in the middle of these different places. Uh, show us the, the line. Show us the places that we resolve in our heart that we, we go no further and, uh, and how to act consistently and just draw attention to yourself. We love you so much, Father. Thank you for the promise that you will provide, that you will show up, that you are big and you're doing something beyond our wildest dreams. Amen.